Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. There's another reason some lack assurance. Sometimes we can't accept forgiveness. Sometimes our emotions can just be a tyranny in our life. And they feel, well, I'm just too bad to get saved. Some people just can't accept forgiveness. And there are reasons for this. They're pretty practical, but let's just look at three reasons real quick. Reason number one is because our conscience is already against forgiveness. Your conscience doesn't know anything about forgiveness. Understood? The only thing your conscience knows about is what? Is guilt. Conviction. Your conscience knows nothing about grace. Your conscience knows nothing about God's mercy. Your conscience knows nothing about forgiveness. In fact, your conscience speaks against forgiveness. It's your conscience that says that you are too bad to be forgiven. But there's also another compelling impulse that causes people to be sometimes unable to accept forgiveness is because of the holiness. The law of God speaks against forgiveness. The law of God in the Old Testament, judgment was death. There was no forgiveness. And so it speaks so strongly against sin. And listen, holiness knows nothing of forgiveness. The law of God knows nothing about forgiveness. Holiness speaks against sin. It knows nothing of excusing it. Righteousness speaks against sin. It knows nothing about excusing it. The law of God speaks against sin. It knows nothing of excusing it. You see, I think that in all of these areas, they work against our assurance. And then there's another. There's justice. Justice speaks against sin. Justice knows nothing about forgiveness either. Justice has to be paid, right? They're ganging up on you, right? All three of these. Your conscience, the Old Testament law, the idea of justice, it all comes. And if you struggle with doubt about your salvation, you say, I just can't forgive. I can't accept God's forgiveness. I'm just too bad. I'm too wicked to be saved. I'm too filthy. I'm too vile. Whatever it is, it's because conscience will deny you forgiveness. Holiness will deny you forgiveness. Justice denies you forgiveness. And as long as we're in that group, we don't have that assurance. So the heart of a person with a strong, compelling conscience, the heart of a person with understanding of holiness and righteousness, the law of God, the heart of a person who understands justice might find it difficult to accept God's forgiveness. Guilt rules. Condemnation rules, sin rules. Christ then is not king. Grace does not rule. Mercy does not rule. Forgiveness does not rule. You see, that's why Satan wants you to doubt your salvation. Because really what happens is we make him king. We lift him up. 
But the scripture says to put on the helmet of salvation. Because those crushing blows of the devil, as he wants to come in and he wants to crush you, that's why we put on the helmet of salvation. We have to come back and we understand that. If we crown Satan king, we know that we've just given over. But strong preaching of a high and holy standard. Sometimes if we refuse to accept forgiveness, it causes people to doubt. But let me get back back to where I was. Causes for doubt. Some lack assurance because they don't understand the gospel, the plan of salvation. They don't comprehend God's plan. Because they say salvation is a combination of God and man. So how can I have assurance? I can have assurance about God, but I don't know about my part. It demands my cooperation. And if I remind you then that it's salvation is all of God's part, and even though there are many that don't understand that, it, it was all done by Him. And so, when we understand grace, we can understand that God forgave you. He forgave you the sins that you committed way back when. But, He's also forgiven you the future sins. Remember, when Christ died for you, you weren't even born yet. And he died, all sins then would have been future, right? All of those. So he didn't just die for what I did when I was saved. He's died for my entire life. He's died for everything because God, in his foreknowledge, he knew exactly what you were going to do. And so sometimes that causes a confusion about grace. There's confusion about mercy. There's a confusion about the degree and the extent of the forgiveness of Christ. And as long as you're confused about it, then we can have doubts in our salvation. We feel okay sometimes about our spiritual condition. It's the same kind of feeling that when you've just had a good meal and sunny, nice day, you're sitting in the cool of the afternoon, your feelings are powerful and you feel like, I'm doing okay. Life is good. I feel like I'm saved. But when you're in the heat of battle... You're saying, oh, I don't know. But you see, that's why I want you to know that all times, good times, bad times, it's not based on our emotions. It's based upon God and what God has done. And you will never have that subjective feeling of assurance until we really get to that objective truth of the gospel. We want to look at the objective truth. It was Harry Ironside that said many years ago, you may never be able to forget the years of wandering, the many sins of which you have been guilty and continue to commit. But that which gives peace is the knowledge that God will never recall them again. That's the wonderful truth of gospel. He's blotted them out from the book of His remembrance. He's forgotten them and He has done it in His righteousness. For the account was completely settled, completely paid. The debt is paid. Now that's security. Because of what Christ has done, He's paid it all. That's security. And objectively, it gives rise to assurance subjectively. It causes us to recognize. For when we understand the gospel, we understand God knew that we were sinners. He knew what we would go through. 
He knew this world completely, but He totally paid the price for your sins, past, present, future. And He removed them as far as the east is from the west. He's buried them in the depths of the sea, and He remembers them no more. That means for eternity, they are a non-issue. You have to understand that salvation was offered in Jesus and that you were secure because of the all-powerful power of God forever. It is irreversible. Romans 11 says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable or without repentance. They cannot be changed. God doesn't change His mind. And so you have to understand that from the very beginning God knew you and He knew what you would do and He loved you in spite of all of our own. That's why in Isaiah He says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. In other words, when God forgives you, it's complete. You're washed. Totally. It's totally taken care of. Isaiah 43, 25. He says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Does that sound like good news to you? <laughs> Sounds like good news to me. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. You're forgiven. If you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven everything. Isaiah 44, 22, he says it again. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. I could see them, but then a thick cloud came. I can't see them in a heavy mist. It's just blocked off. I can't see them anymore. I can't tell any longer. You see... Isaiah 53, and, and if we forget about the death of Jesus Christ and how God could look away from our sin, forget our sin, to blot our sins out, to wipe them out because of Christ. In Isaiah 53, 5, he says, He was pierced or wounded for our transgressions. Yours, mine. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His stripes, some say, by His scourgings we are healed. For all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That's why in verse 8 He says, For the transgression of my people, He bore our iniquities. He bore our transgression. He took our sins. Hi. Let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you, and back to our podcast. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. See, the work of Christ on the cross 
Your sins were totally, completely done away, wiped away. He remembers them no more. And when we understand the gospel, we understand that Jesus took the penalty for past, present, future sins. And he paid them all. That's why Micah, the prophet, says, Who is a pardoning God like you? Remember when Israel was still in Egypt years ago, the last plague coming, the plague of death, the death of the firstborn, they were to slay a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the lintels and on the doorpost, that cross piece. And when the angel of death came by, he didn't look to see, oh, this one told a lie. This one maybe have stolen from another Israelite. He didn't look at the sins of the people in that and then bring about death. The angel of death passed over if the blood was applied. Whatever those Israelites might have done. Whatever they have done. Remember Moses had killed a man in his rage. And yet Moses had to apply the blood on his doorpost. That the angel of death would pass by. You cannot say there is no sin that God will not forget. Because when he sees the blood. I will pass. I will pass over you. I love that song. You see security. Dependent not on their frame of mind. Not on their feelings. But on the record of what. God has done. It doesn't depend on your record. I know a man that has a record of multiple murders. Multiple murders. Terrible transgressions of the law. And yet he came to Christ and he's a new man. When people can't forgive him, it's okay because Christ has forgiven him. And that's where we need to see where we are in Christ. That's why we need to see ourselves placed in Him. And then we will have that assurance because we are in Christ. And that's our hope. And we can lack all kinds of objective feelings, but we have to be based on the Word of God and say, I'm in Christ. Security is the fact. It is an objective fact. That all who have been forgiven by the grace of God through Christ Jesus are forgiven forever. It's irrevocable. You see, that's security. You can have security and really not have assurance. A lot of people do. A lot of people have security, they have no assurance. I say that to people who don't believe that they can have assurance, they can say, well, I don't believe my salvation is secure. That's fine. You can have security, but you're not enjoying it. <laughs> you can have security, and you're not believing it. You can deny it all you want, but you still have it because it is a fact of God's Word. You can doubt it all you want, but you're still secure. You can think, well, security is just something that I can't really touch. But when you've been forgiven by the grace in Christ, you're forgiven forever. It's irrevocable. Assurance is the confidence and I'm in Christ. He is the one who gives us the forgiveness. And if God has given you salvation, then that is secure. And I should certainly enjoy that assurance. I'm going to just kind of close this whole thought out. I'm not closing out, but I just want to kind of wrap all this up by talking about what Paul said to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 8, he says, you could ask him, Paul, do you have assurance Paul would say, yeah, I have assurance. Maybe you ask him, well, Paul, how do you know that you have assurance? How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you really know? Does Paul say, well, I just feel it. I just think that God's going to do it. I just believe God's going to somehow. 
Really? Do you just happen to, maybe because you're having a good day, just think, well, God's going to be nice to me when I go and I'm going to make it? No. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, I am persuaded, for I am convinced is the idea of that. It's a rational word. It's not a feeling word. It's a word where he's saying, I'm persuaded. He doesn't say, I think, I know. He's saying, wait a minute, we can be certain of this. doesn't say, I feel neither life nor death. Maybe angels, principalities. I think maybe things present or things to come, maybe powers, heights, depth. Paul's not saying that. He is saying that we can know these things. He doesn't say, he says, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded by what? By reason. By reason of what? And when we go back and we start to look at the chapters that go before in chapter 3, chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7, Paul says, I'm convinced because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced because of what Christ has done. I'm certain it's so. It's the strongest statement on security in the whole Bible. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that is the demonic beings, nor things present, that's everything that's currently existing, nor things to come, things that might still be, or what Paul was looking off to the future that might come to exist, nor powers that's of any kind, powers of any kind. That might even be the powers of your own mind, powers of your own thought, nor anything in its height or anything in its depth, nor any other creature. You see, that's the idea of what he's saying. There, you can't go to any heights, you can't go to any depths. Nothing that was created shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Did you get that? <laughs> Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I'm convinced. Why? I'm convinced because this is a strong assurance that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know I'm not convinced that death or life, that because I'm feeling it, I'm convinced because of what Christ has done, because of what God has done. Well, if you go back to chapter 3, you find out the whole picture of the saving gospel. And that's why in chapter 8, it's called the sunlit summit. And he brings us up to a place where he just shows us the eternal forgiveness in mercy and grace in Christ. And he lands us in verse uh, in chapter 8, verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation? You mean when you can't accept forgiveness? He says there's no condemnation. It goes against our conscience. It goes against justice. It goes against our feelings of righteousness. But it's because Christ paid the price. That's exactly what he says in verse 38. That nothing is ever going to condemn you. There isn't any. There isn't any. Well, how can you say that, Paul? Because he said in verse 2 of chapter 8, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You have Christ. You have the Spirit. You have the law that has no claim in its penalty. It has no claim because you are in Christ. You'll never be condemned. 
you'll never be found guilty. And then verse 5, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. He starts talking about, he doesn't stop talking about the Holy Spirit until he gets to verse 17. So that's kind of the thing. That when you've received the Holy Spirit, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to seal you, to guarantee your future glory. It's that guarantee, it's that earnest, it's that which has been placed in you that's going to take you to that place. Because He has presented you in righteousness. We're being led by the Spirit of God, verse 14. Verse 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And then starting in verse 18 through 25, He says, we now live with a view, with a hope of future glory. Verse 26 through 28 says, the Holy Spirit who is working in us, it's God working in us. And no matter what happens, it works together for our good. You see, that's what he's doing there. He's saying salvation eliminates us out of the picture. All done by Christ, who paid the penalty of our sin. There's no condemnation. Salvation is granted. The Holy Spirit has been given to secure us, to lead us, to confirm in us that we are the children of God. Salvation was given and has given us an eternal hope that we earnestly look forward to. God over us and the Spirit in us is taking control and leading us as a child of God to a higher plane, to a standard that we want to reach a higher plane. We want to be walking closer with Him. And we talk about, and he says from verse 31, he says, look, if God's for us, who can be against us? What higher court is there I know I've been through all the courts. I got into the U.S. Supreme Court. Is there a higher court? There is. There is a higher court. Let me tell you, if God's court is supreme over all of the world, that's the court I want to be in. That's the court where true righteousness, because the righteousness of Christ has been put on you, if you are in Christ, the image of Jesus Christ can't be thwarted. You can't be condemned. If Christ doesn't condemn us, then who's going to? Isn't that what he talks about in verse 35? Then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? And you say, where did he get that list? Paul? Well, Paul lived that list. Paul lived that list. He's had famine. He's had persecution. He's had tribulation. He's had distress. He's had the nakedness, he's had the peril, he's had the sword. In fact, he was being put to death all the day long, it said. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly, with the Apostle Paul, conquer. You see, so not only do we have the assurance to make our calling and election sure that helps us that we would never stumble, you know that man of verse 38 in Romans 8 That's why he says, I am convinced. I am persuaded. I got the whole deal. I got the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the peril, the sword. And when it was all done, Christ was the conqueror in me. I'm convinced. There is no condemnation. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit moves us onto a path of righteousness. We have a future hope of glory that we're waiting for. I say all of these things in conclusion. I say all of this as we're closing out. Because Paul is saying, I have both. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the assurance that's a reality that I possess 
salvation. And that's why I know that salvation in Christ by revelation of God's Word, it's just been written down, and that's why Paul is saying, I know that I'm in Christ by the testing. He was tested. I've had it all. Nothing separated me from the love of Christ. Let me tell you that in your life, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing that will take you away. As we just close out, I want us to think about assurance. That we can have true, full assurance in Christ and in Him alone, nothing else. And if you're looking at human reasoning and all of the different aspects of your mind and all that might come to you, it's got to be in the Word of God the good news of the Gospel. Even though you, me, we were guilty. We're sinners. We've fallen so far short. We need the blood of Christ applied to us. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.